Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. Hello, Andy. Hello, Scott. How are you? Good. How are you? And for the first time in the great Voice San Diego podcast studio that I know of, our new managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafania, joins us. Hello, Andrea. Hello. Have you been here without my knowing it before? No. Okay. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm very excited. <laughs> she is our new editor. She's here to talk about things with us on the podcast. Welcome. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. We've got a great show coming up this week. There was a major development on the redistricting front. One city of San Diego redistricting commissioner resigned following an ethics complaint. We'll do a little update on redistricting and what it is, and why it matters, why you should care. And it is hard to stand out as a bad real estate deal pulled off by the city of San Diego, but one has, and we're going to discuss it. Andy has an update about a deal that has mostly avoided scrutiny, at least big public discussion like some others, but it is getting worse. That's the deal that is. We'll explain what's going on there. That is all coming up. Stay with us. First, we have a new rendering. You see this, Andrea? Yes. See this? Printed in black we, and white. Can we start with what are your feelings on renderings in general? I like them. You're, you're fine okay. with them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's fun. Depends yeah. what they are. Yeah. But usually the little people throw me off. Yeah, there's usually a little boy holding a balloon. <laughs> yeah. Like ice cream cone. I, th- I find yeah. that the, the it steps up. When they don't just repeat the people, oh, you know, yeah. like yeah. it's a real high quality rendering when there's all kinds of different people. But when it's the same dude five times, yeah, you just got somebody mailing it in at that point. That's you, just lazy. 
That is just lazy. <laughs> the yeah. Well done, guys. Yeah, no, I the, there how many people is the right number to include in a rendering? You need all kinds. Uh, need I think you, you need, need to, you need to have a representative sample. Right. You know, that that's probably the the best. You're trying to do a couple things. You're trying to reflect the community, right? But you also need to demonstrate all the things that are going to happen. You want to be able to your thing. People want to be able to see themselves there. Right. Just walk right into it. Step into the into the space. <laughs> well, we have a new new rendering out. Of course, Andy, last week the city of San Diego put out a request for proposals again for the area around sports arena, right? Correct. Yeah. And so we're starting to see some movement there. Brookfield says they're back. They're going to try again for that land. Mm-hmm. Uh, redo it. It's not clear whether the city is going to force them to rebuild a sports arena, but uh, they're all going to be required to build a lot of affordable housing. And so I think we're going to come with some renderings that include some more dense housing, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it in general, usually since affordable housing is not as profitable to build or that's not maybe not the best way to think about it because it's often nonprofit developers that build it. But usually, you 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 use the for profit development to pay for the affordable housing. And so, since there's a now a higher requirement for affordable housing, one way you could square that circle is to build more of your market rate housing and then use that those added units to pay for the added affordable housing. Right. All of which results in just more housing in general. Well, so for this new round, we finally got our first rendering. Well, this is also this is also the group that was also in the last time around. Okay, so this is the one that lost, right? Correct. Midway Village yeah. Plus. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so have you scoped this out, Andrea? Okay. Well, we've got a scene. I think Jordan Snodgrass, a reader, great supporter of Voice San Diego, he wrote that it looks like a Monet Monet painting. Somewhere, I'm just willing to bet that that whoever, whichever rendering artist put this together is like printing that out, putting it on their resume, including it in their bio. Yeah. Just like <laughs> just a quote. I've, from, I've, from, ele- I've elevated the form. Yeah. It'll be like, it looks like a Monet slash, slash JPS, right? Right. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, okay. So <clears throat> Andrea, what do you see? What sticks out in, in this, in this rendering for you? Uh, the little kayaks. Yeah, the, <laughs> the pond. Yeah, there obviously the water feature is here. We've got a dad showing his child how to how to fish. We've got you know it, you can hear, almost hear him say, "Just hold it there." The thing about kids fishing, Andrea, uh-huh. is that they're really impatient. You get them set up. For, it takes like forty minutes to get them set up, and then they make a few tangles, and they finally get the line in the water, and then they're like, I, this is boring. I'm right. done. Literally the moment it goes into the water is when they feel that. You can hear that about to happen with this child. Yeah, he's right. that kid's ready to throw that rod down and ask to go jump play off a video something. game. Yeah. But are you picturing this guy fishing the way you fish or regular people fish? <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm a very good angler. Thank you. For, um, I feel like the, the, the trajectory of your fishing career has mostly played out on this podcast. Yeah. Yes, yes, it was bad. It didn't start out well. I started out as that dad, and my son was not good at it. All right, so this thing, it looks very clearly like there is a dome over this entire thing, right? A, a, <laughs> yeah, it does. A, a blue dome. Yeah. And um, 
So, so this is actually a rendering explaining, like it's like a storyboard from the Truman Show. Right, right. Uh, and so there is this this pond thing. I, I, I don't know where this is supposed to be, though. Is this by the sports? Maybe the sports arena is right next to it. I don't know. Maybe the sports arena is gone. Maybe it's... Where's the freeway is the question. There's no identifying markers. No. I, I don't think I would choose to kayak here when there's a bay on either side of me or an ocean on the, the third side that but, I could go kayak in. Maybe you can go underneath the parking lot in the kayak to the bay. Well, that would be nice. Oh, oh there's an idea. Bringing back the Bay to Bay channel. The Bay to Bay channel. I'd be a little creepy under there probably though. Yeah, bad, bad scene. <laughs> you don't want to take the <laughs> child down there. Tough hang that kayak underneath the <laughs> parking garage. That's a bad thing. So check that out. Midway Village Plus has the first new of the old new renderings uh, of what might happen at Sports Arena. Let's get braced for more. All right, this week, our Maestro Christian broke the news that one of the members of the San Diego, City of San Diego, redistricting commission resigned abruptly. We, we don't usually see that. People who like to be on redistricting commissions like to be on them a lot and want to be on them. Mitzley, former school board member in the city, uh, was the one she said that uh, she resigned after a complaint was filed that she was working for a community organization to support one particular map that they wanted to see come out of the redistricting process. Uh, And that differed from what a lot of people wanted in the area. And uh, the conflict or whatever uh, forced her to step down. Is that an okay summary, Andrea? Yep. That seems to basically be the issue. uh, It's also just like we're now at the point that the redistricting process is about to get interesting. Yes. So like she's resigned at the moment that it's about, that the action is about to take place. Yes. So um, for those of you who were 15 the last time. (laughs) 16. Okay, sorry. The last time redistricting (laughs) happened. uh, Let's just do do a little review. First of all, this process has never not been intensely dramatic and fraught and awful and very tense. And last time, I think the, the the executive director who finished the whole process, she was like, okay, I'm leaving San Diego forever. <laughs> not Maybe not because of that. I don't know, but I don't think it's that much of a coincidence. So uh, let's review how this whole thing works, right? So we live in a representative democracy, right, Andy? Uh, a republic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we live in a republic. Uh, that means that... Uh, we try to vote for people who represent our interests. And in order to do that effectively, we have to make sure we rebalance the boundaries that they vote in every, we've decided, 10 years. That's 10 years that coincides with the census. This year, the census is delayed. So the redistricting process is delayed from that. Now, what they try to do is make sure that all of the districts that they draw are about the same population. There's a, a deviation that they're allowed that they try to keep it under. So some might be a little bigger, some might be a little smaller, but they try to keep them all the same. Which, yeah, so it, it, which makes the whole process fungible in, in that like you can't add from one without subtracting from another. So all of your decisions have ripple effects on the rest of the district boundaries mm-hmm. necessarily. 
Exactly. And so the uh, the idea is to try to keep. Now it used to be big fights between like Republicans and Democrats. They they wanted to make sure uh, uh, whatever power each side had that they could maybe maximize it or whatever. But there was also, and even more so now, an effort on making sure communities of interest stay together, right? Or are best represented. Now, there's there's different dividing lines that seem to be coming up with that, right? There's like communities of interest in like what they want to see in the city. So people along the coast kind of joining together. And then there's communities of interest based on shared background and identities and, and communities literally of interest, right? Mm-hmm. So Mitzli was part of and helped lead a group called the Asian Pacific American Coalition, right? And they were working to try to uh, draw some lines according to what they want to see happen. Now, they want to make sure that Asian Americans are empowered uh, in this in these uh, new lines, that they have enough uh, power to make sure that they are represented on the San Diego City Council. As they point out, there were there was a period of time of decades from the first Asian American who was on the city council uh, to when um, you know some of the more modern city council, Chris Kate and others, were elected. And so they do not want to let that happen again. They want to make sure that they're included uh, in power and in the representation. But uh, there are a lot of factors at play here. So now Mitzli leaves. And uh, her alternate comes in, but that means that Mitz Lee, who was from District 6, which seems to be kind of the heart of a lot of these discussions, will District 6, which right now includes what, Claremont? Kearney Mesa, Mir Mesa, mm-hmm. uh, Rancho Penasquitos is, is like one of these edge districts, whether it goes to D5 or D6. Carmel Valley is sort of in the, could go either in D1 or D6. Right. So Claremont is mostly in D six, but there's those part on the on the western part that are not that are part of District Two, and then there's Linda Vista. What are we going to do with Linda Vista? These all are the questions that this redistricting commission has to handle. And so now Mitz Lee will not be on there, and that matters because it's just really a, a weird thing to happen right as the the interesting stuff is about to happen on this on the redistricting, which means that they're going to start literally drawing maps. Uh, they're going to consider maps. They're going to have professionals present different maps that they can use, and they'll have people talk and give testimony about those maps. Right. And so this dispute arose because there were two complaints filed uh, about Mitzley's lobbying, essentially, for one of these maps. Is that right, Andrea? Right. Uh, lobbying for uh, Rancho Penasquitos to be part of D6. For Rancho and and to be unified as one community as opposed to splitting it between two council districts. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So, and then that had the net effect of doing what to the AAPI community in D6 to make it bigger or smaller? Smaller. Okay. So, which is interesting. So the, the that's basically what we're like brass tacks. What we're getting down to here is that you have AAPI communities that would like to have the largest possible share of of them represented within a single council district so that they can wield more political influence so that the District 6 area can be an empowerment district. That's, a, a, that's what the term is for. It's an empowerment district. And she was lobbying some of these groups to support a map that would have actually made that AAPI representation in District 6 smaller, right? And so the, these two 
complaints that were filed against her were filed based on the argument that they didn't want that, 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 that they didn't think that that was what was best, and also that they didn't think it was appropriate for her to be lobbying while she was in a position of influence. I think, Andrea, you had some uh, question like, wh- why, why does she even need to do this? What are the rules, right? Like, there is another redistricting commissioner, a, a member of the redistricting commission, who's an actual lobbyist uh, for City Hall. She goes to City Hall and lobbies. That's Justine Nielsen. And I remember I asked her about it and she's like, yeah, I'm going to keep it completely separate. It's no big deal. So where do we actually cross the line of where somebody has done something that they that makes them sort of disqualified or not able to carry out the redistricting process? Is that a fair summary of your... Right. Like how much can you advocate? And if you are part of a commission, then wouldn't you think you have an opinion about how things should go? And can you advocate for that? Can you not? I think the answer is, I don't know. I, I do not understand. So in the in the state, I know for a fact you cannot have any connections to any lobbyists at all. Yes. Or they won't let you be part of that commission. For instance, the relationship with the Justine Nelson that you right. If she was on a state redistrict state level redistricting commission that sets the boundaries for a state assembly, state senate, that would not be allowed. It's, She's a reg- as a registered lobbyist, she would be precluded from involvement. Now the counter argument there is. Well, do you want people who have never paid attention to city politics doing this or or not? Well, right. It, that, that that at some level, maybe it's OK that people who are familiar with the issues, familiar with the goings on of the city are involved in this process. They might be able to bring some insight to the role based on that experience. So it seems like the only place that she really crossed the line, if if she did, and I think she's saying in her quotes she doesn't necessarily agree that she did. Is that correct, Andrea? She's just, she's saying like, I just don't want this to be a problem and I'm going to stop and, and get off this board. But it seems like to the extent she's crossed any line, it's just in being like clear about what she wants, right? Like like you're not supposed to have uh, had a point of view about how these lines should be drawn until you pull in all that information or something. Yeah, I guess she was... One of the allegations, I guess, would be that she also maybe was pushing that organization a certain way that maybe they weren't going originally, from what it sounded like from the allegation. Right. Right. Oh, so so the, the complaint wasn't about the commission, but was about the 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 group that she was a part of, the Asian Pacific American Coalition. Well, it all played out within the confines of that group. Uh-huh. There, there was this back and forth that, frankly, was difficult to follow. It was a lot of like he said, she said, or in this case, she said, she said. Um, But there was a board member from that group that filed a complaint and uh, against Mitz, Lee. And that person was removed from the board based on this dispute that arose over this. So a lot of this played out in the confines of APAC. Got it. Um, but it was it, the allegation was that sh- that she had been lobbying the group itself to to make a decision in support of what Mitz Lee wanted. Now, but she was, I mean, I guess the thing is like she's not she she's not denying that she did in fact favor one map over another, as far as I can tell. She just seems to be arguing that that's okay. I think that this is uh, yeah just another indication that we are starting to enter the really dramatic phase of this. Andrea, buckle up. It is going to be uh, quite a ride. I remember covering it in 2011. Uh, 
Adrian Florido, the um, now famous NPR reporter, was covering it for us. I remember he'd come back to the office. His, his eyes would be like wide and he'd be just white as a sheet because of just all the pressure he'd been facing from people who were angry about different aspects of the discussion. It just gets intense. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, it's going to be, it, it sets the political boundaries for the next 10 years. And there's a lot of people who professionally work in politics who recognize that their stakes are being set right now. And that this is their opportunity to, to influence them. But it's like, there's going to be a lot of phony outrages. It's it's you know what it's kind of like. It's it's like elections are serious business where real decisions happen, and also they're high stress environments where people muster up a lot of phony outrage, mm-hmm. and it often becomes difficult to tell which is which in any given moment when you're covering a campaign, and all of redistricting can kind of be like that. Like for instance. Well, you, you mentioned that the previous chief of staff for the redistricting commission like left San Diego afterwards. I remember she was like accused of being in league with Democrats mm-hmm. because the like somebody from the Democratic Party helped her stack chairs after a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and like Tony Kavarik, who ran the Republican Party, like seized on that as like some obvious indication of nefarious influence and relationships that was that that threw the all of the decision making of the redistricting commission into doubt yeah no and and it's it's gonna get intense and and especially so too when you have groups that have been historically underrepresented and on on these kinds of uh leadership and governance efforts like you know they're going to be passionate about trying to make sure that's changed and it's so Buckle up, it's going to be an interesting few months on that. Now, related, uh, there's, of course, a commission at the county. The county's going to redraw maps. That's going to have an implication on county races next year. Uh, School districts are supposed to redraw maps, but we haven't heard anything about what they're doing. There's no similar commissioners set in place. There's no discussion going on. The San Diego Unified School District, I know, literally just put out bids for somebody to draw maps for them. So we'll see what they do. And that matters more than ever because... They are actually, those lines are going to define how school board members get elected. They're going to be contained in those district boundaries like they haven't before. And the congressional districts, which occupies like 95% of the national attention around what redistricting is. And that's actually quite relevant here in San Diego this year. We might lose a congressional seat in San Diego County. In the as the state of California redraws its congressional districts. Yeah. Unlike other states, California has an independent redistricting commission for the state. Representatives of both the Democratic and uh, Republican Party are on that, along with independents. And so it's not uh, the same sort of partisan effort uh, as in other places. All right, Andy, tell us where the city of San Diego repairs its fire trucks right now and why that is something they wanted to change. They repair their fire trucks in Miramar mm-hmm. at the same place that they repair their garbage trucks. Mm-hmm. And those two trucks are different. They require different parts. They require different space. Um, and it creates what it's dogs and cats sleeping it's dogs together and cats sleeping together. Total anarchy. <laughs> uh, it, it does seem to be something that uh, multi- two consultants have come in and examined the situation and determined that it is a chaotic environment and that it is not good and that they should change it. Now, 
Never mind the fact that that all happened like almost seven years ago now. Yeah. And we went about finding a solution back in 2017 and other circumstances have made that solution not come to fore yet. And we still seem to have fire trucks and garbage trucks. So maybe it's not quite as crippling a problem as people have suggested. Uh, but none, nonetheless, multiple consultants have agreed that it is bad to have the garbage trucks and the fire trucks fixed at the same place and that there needs to be a long-term solution to that problem. All right. So four years ago, the city of San Diego, led by Mayor Kevin Faulkner, signed a lease at a new place, new warehouse, to to set it up so they could repair fire trucks there. And four years hence... Yeah, they forgot to do something really important. And I'm not even kidding. This is actually what happened. Uh -huh. They did not measure the bays in the warehouse. Oh. Oh, I didn't know this part. So they literally can't fit their trucks. The fire trucks can't fit in the bays. <laughs> and so That's probably something they should have done. They should. You would think that they you would do that, but they didn't. It's like and when you buy a piece of furniture and yeah. you're so stoked about it. Well, then, which like... When I was a single man, I used to like not measure the furniture. I would just get it and be like, it'll be fine. <laughs> and then like I'd bring the couch home from Salvation Army and then it wasn't fine. And I had like a terrible looking apartment. Now, Andrea, I bet you measure. Yes. Yes. Like I bring everybody. a little little measuring tape to Ikea where I get my furniture. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they didn't though. They didn't do that. And so yeah. then once they took ownership of the building, they were like, ooh, the... Six million dollars in repairs that we were expecting is okay. going to be like seventeen I, million. I'm, I'm of two minds right now. One is, this is um, very amusing yeah. to me. But the second is, why wasn't this the lead? This is crazy. <laughs> so they literally didn't measure to make sure that the fire trucks they wanted to repair in this warehouse that they were buying in Kearney Mesa, they didn't measure to make sure the fire trucks fit into the places in the warehouse that they would need to fit. And now they're going to spend $15 million to fix that? Yeah, but if you think about it in terms of the fact that their initial estimate was for the elevated repairs was $17 million, Oh, it's, a, it's You could actually make it like yeah. they've saved $2 million. Mm -hmm. So like right. in some ways, it's like, what do you want to buy for $2 million? We've got this money burning a hole in our pocket after right. these savings we've engineered. I bet there's a lot of people who could be housed for $15 million. It's not a small amount of money. Yeah, like 30 people. Yeah. All right. So we knew about this scandal uh, a couple, I think you broke it last two years ago, it was a while yeah, ago. Yeah, early 20, what time, what year did the pandemic start? I don't even remember. It was a while ago. <laughs> it was early 2020. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we broke. It was like right before the pandemic and then it, that immediately was forgotten. But we we were kind of wondering for a while whether the city was going to drop this with this new mayor, mm -hmm. whether they're going to get rid of this problem yeah, or whether they were going to double down and get it done. Yeah. And so the news is they're going to do that. They are going to. Yes. The other news the, that I've now confirmed is that they're going to put $15 million into this property. And when they realized that this was going to be much more expensive, that they were going to have a big capital investment into this project, they started renegotiating with the owner because first they had a 10-year lease with two five-year options to bring it to 20 years. So they were like, well, we're spending a lot more money now. We need a longer amortization period. So they did a 15-year lease with three five-year options so that they could potentially be in there for 30 years. Okay. Which to try to 
you know, lighten the impact of spending $15 million on a building they do not own. $15 million out of pocket on a building they do not own. But, yeah, it's not usually a good idea to spend too much money fixing up a place that you're renting. Exactly. Because you don't get to take that value. That's just helping your landlord. Bingo. And in fact, there, this is not even a, a, a immaterial academic discussion in that you can't spend bonded money. The city cannot spend money that it's borrowed from investors that it's going to have to pay back with interest on someone on a property it doesn't own. They have to pay cash. So the city like was handling this project as part of its capital improvement list of priorities until it realized, oh no, we can't use bond revenue to pay for this. So they had to find some other projects that they were ready to use with cash and do a little three-card money and pay those projects with bonded money so they could use this project with cash Always a good sign you're on the right track. Yeah, you're always doing well when you're like doing like a like a gate like hiding the ball from your nephew behind your back and doing like no, it's in my left hand. No, it's in my right hand. The the other news uh, <laughs> is that they confirmed that they never did an analysis of whether they should actually purchase a piece of property like this instead. Which might have worked out again, where you're you you own it because the city's going to be around probably for a while. Yeah, and so let renting- California real estate has a good track record <laughs> for the most part of being on an upward trajectory. We're living through some of the negative effects of that right now, but if you are say a city who has the benefit of feeling pretty confident it's going to be around in a hundred years. You might want to buy more of it. If it's not, it doesn't really matter what assets. <laughs> yeah, that's out. true. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so uh, they, um, what else did they improve this? Wasn't there some other news? So they, so they never did this analysis. Right. That would have said like over the next 30 years, what's going to be better for our, re- our, our bottom line around whether we buy some property and build from scratch this facility that we need versus whether we lease it. Because your upfront costs will be lower when you lease it, but over 30, 50 years, you might do better off by building it from scratch. They didn't do that analysis. They confirmed that. And the Gloria administration was quite eager to point out that the previous administration had not done the necessary analysis period. Boy, they were bad. Mm -hmm. Happy to get that off their chest. Um, But the other thing that we can now say is that Every time they extend this five-year option, the lease payments will update to the current market rate. And that will all happen after the city has put $15 million in improvements into the property. In other words, the city is making a property more valuable, which could make the rent that it has to pay higher. So because of the money that it paid into the the property it's running. Now- the city staff says, well, we don't actually think that it's going to work that way because the, like, the improvements are so specific to us and our needs that there might not be. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Maybe they'll be right. But it's at least, you know, y- you would think that a $15 million investment would make the project more appealing mm-hmm. in general. So you've got that. I mean, it's just crazy to me. One, 
that they never measured that. <laughs> That's like basic. Yeah, I have to admit, Scott's probably right. Should have led with that, maybe. <laughs> it seems like a big <laughs> I'm actually going to assign a, a little post where this is they how did. this went wrong. Yeah. Just a, a picture of a guy measuring. Do you have any stock images of a guy like measuring <laughs> with a space? With a, <laughs> yeah. a fire truck? Yeah. Um, but two, I mean, you know, we're, we're joking about it, whatever, $15 million, okay. But, you know, you mentioned like how many people could we have housed with $15 million? Uh, what could we have done with those $15 million that would have serviced the community more than trying to upgrade this facility where fire trucks don't fit? Yeah. So. <laughs> no, I mean, you think about these like ribbon cuttings that city council members or the mayor or city staff have in communities where they are you know, announcing the completion of a community center that people have been fighting for for a long time or um, you know, a, a veterans memorial or just a statue of some kind you know, for a beloved citizen from that district. None of those things cost $15 million typically that like, mm-hmm. like people can get really carried away with like wanting to excuse things because the numbers associated with city budgets are big. Yeah. That like, Oh, it's $15 million. But in the grand scheme of how much the city spends, that's a rounding error. That's true. But like, there are things that people are fighting for right. in communities all across San Diego right now. That costs like five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, you know that people are fighting for that they want to get included in their district's expenditures during the next budget cycle. That costs you know one point five million dollars. Yeah. Fifteen million dollars is a significant amount of money in terms of things that people keep being told that we don't have the money for. Yeah, right. parks. Park. Yeah, any any number any park. of park improvement or new park building. You know, like. Fifteen million dollars does buy stuff. That's like uh, one th- bathroom, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, like, like think about how few public restrooms there are in this city. Yeah, and like you know, you have to, you know, building something does incur an ongoing maintenance problem. So it's not quite as simple as just building it and then sure. you've got it forever. But like, fifteen million dollars could pay for the maintenance of a new public restroom well, you know, for a long time. The city went on this big effort to out to do outreach to homeless uh, San Diegans and try to get them into different accommodations, and they had great success over a period of like a month, where it was just this intense blitz mm-hmm. of of you know outreach and discussion, and it stopped. And it's it's like well, you know, the obvious answer as to why would be resources, and when you're wondering about that, that's where this comes. Now there were a few questions, and I'm it, the mind obviously goes with this, with this bad a deal with this poor of like setup and preparation. Was there something corrupt underneath it that made that happen? Now we have poked around that, Andy, and you haven't seen anything yet. To, to, no, to, we'll, we'll keep looking. And it, there was a time when 101 Ash Street just seemed like a a bad a bad deal and it was ineptitude yeah. not corruption and now we know it's corruption and law enforcement stormed uh the offices of two you know the significant members of the local real estate industry right so i'm not going to tell you that anything didn't happen right uh but i have not yet seen any evidence of abject corruption i've seen evidence of poor real estate management poor measuring poor skills. M- measuring skills some kind of shady accounting around what you're doing with bonded revenue to sort of cleverly make an expenditure fly. Right. All right. You are here, Andrea. I'm here. 
Welcome. It's crazy, right? Yeah, I, 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 we had coffee. Next thing we know, one thing leads to another, and you're in the podcast studio. Welcome. Wow, amazing. Uh, so I, I went to an event this weekend that you helped host. You're the president of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists in San Diego, and it was a great scholarship event. By the way, every event like that should have a photo headshot deal. That was great. That was awesome. Yours was really good. I, I'm very pleased. <laughs> it was the best picture my wife and I had in a long time. So um, that's one aspect. You're the president there. Uh, you've been at the Union Tribune for a couple of years. The, the editor of the UT came up to me and said what a great decision it was to bring you aboard. So we're very excited to have you. So who are you? <laughs> That's a good way to start. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I'm so excited to be here. And it's super weird because I've been listening to this podcast for a while. Yeah. So I'm like a little scared once I listen to it and actually play. That's I might all right. not listen to it. I think it'll... Uh, I think it'll unlock when you realize that clowning on Andy yes. is the best route. There's never, uh, whenever you're wondering what to do, just clown on him. Not me, ever. No? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm super happy to be here. I um, I went to school. I went to school at San Diego State University, majored in journalism. I was involved with the school paper, which is awesome. Shout out mm -hmm. to the Daily Aztec. And uh, after that, I worked for La Princesa San Diego, and I covered communities. Mm -hmm. Then I went to City Beat for a year, and I also covered communities, some arts and culture, uh, really fun stories, I think. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then I went to the Union Tribune, and I worked there for two years, covered the neighborhoods of San Diego, did a lot of stories on um, you know those neighborhoods and populations that don't usually get written about, and it was really fun. I think uh, made lots of connections, so I'm hoping to bring that same passion for covering neighborhoods and communities and hopefully helping out our reporters get more voices into our stories. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I'm personally quite excited about, you made, you, I think you kind of understated it. You, you shined a light on different parts of San Diego in a very compelling way. And you wrote all the time. There was a, a, such force and energy behind it. I think a lot of us, Saw you move over to the UT and we're excited about that. Next thing you know, you're on the front page and the front of the local section just constantly. It was uh, very compelling. And then you started really branching out with some features and just some uh, com uh, compelling character and community stories. And so what I got really excited about was the idea of combining that with the, the edge and policy and sort of explanatory work that we do here. To me, combining that could be just extremely powerful like we could give true voice to a lot of different people does that uh, at all melt with what you're hoping to do as well yeah super i mean i mean the first time we talked i think we were both vibing on on yeah. that idea um but yeah i mean i guess when when you think about it like all these policies but andy was just talking about the fire trucks and the waste of all this money right at the end of the day it impacts individuals in their neighborhoods and what services they get and what services they don't get Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, spending $15 million on this building probably doesn't benefit any of the individuals living in Barrio Logan, Southcrest, yeah. uh, Lincoln Park, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the things I was also excited about is I share with you a part of our biography, which is that we started in alt weeklies or at least partly in alt weeklies. And there's something that being, I was at the Salt Lake City Weekly when I started journalism. My first job was there, at least full-time job. 
And I remember I, I was always grateful for that because it taught me to always look for a different angle on stories that you can't really duplicate what the major newspapers are doing and stuff like that. And I, I saw you do that right from the beginning as well. I, I think it was last year, there was some decisions nationally about uh, the federal policy for um, dreamers, right? People who were brought here as children um, by immigrant families. And you're among them. You are a dreamer, right? You're a, a DACA recipient. Uh, and when you wrote about that in the UT, I, I was just, I found it very compelling, very honest. And it was part of a discussion at that time about the national discussion about what was going to happen policy and legally with uh, folks like you who share that that status. This is your home, uh, but also, you know, you don't have the um, the legal papers or whatever to, to be here because of that situation. So what, uh, what has that meant for your journalism and what you want to achieve with it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, my, my personal story, I guess, uh, that, I mean, that, that thing that you mentioned writing that piece for the union tribune was really scary. I think I'd always been pretty open about being a DACA recipient, um, since the day I graduated from San Diego state university And, you know, because that was kind of the conversation that a lot of people were having nationally. It was a lot of conversations about DACA. Um, So I was pretty open about it. But I think putting myself on that platform was really scary. Yeah. And I was sharing stuff about my family uh, who are also undocumented. One of my parents was deported. So it was a lot. But um, but yeah, I guess using my personal story, uh, making sure that a lot of voices are are represented and not just um, represented in a way of like, that's what identifies you, but realizing that a lot of people have different layers to them and what represents them. You know, it's not only tied to DACA or not only tied to to their culture. Um, You know, there's different things. So did you was that your idea to write? Uh, No. (laughs) Uh, the the opinion team, Matt Hall reached out to me and, you know, asked me, what are you thinking? Do you think you might want to write something about this? Uh And it kind of just took a couple minutes and I said, yeah. So it was, it was very weird. I think (laughs) I've seen it a few times now in the UT where reporters have broken out into that first person essay. Uh, Kate Morrissey did it the other day about the border. Uh, I, and it, it's always very special when they do. Charles Clark, they moved from a reporter to a columnist. And I think they, they really stand out and, and are able to say things that they might have bottled in. Do you feel like you were more free after that to talk and write in a different way? Yeah, a little bit. And, and I think mostly because the response to that piece was so good. It was from a lot of people. And I got a lot of emails from from coworkers and readers and on social media, it kind of blew up. Yeah. Um, and that's not the response that I thought I was going to get. I you know, was a little scared. So I think seeing that kind of response and seeing that people related to to that a little bit um, really allowed me to change the way I approach stories. And also, um, you know, one instance I can think of is I really thought that it would be important to put how I feel in certain stories or yeah. how certain moments speaking to certain residents made me feel. And I did that in a story I wrote about mariachis. I spoke about how mariachi music makes you feel. And to do that, I thought about how it makes me feel. And that's basically how I started the story. And so I think that really helped me find my voice a little bit. Yeah, Voice San Diego, I've been proud, has always tried to be on the edge of this discussion of what is objectivity, what is 
the what are we supposed to do here? What are we supposed to represent? And I have always tried to articulate that, sure, we want to be fair about what the community is going to do about problems, but I want our journalists to be honest and direct and bold about what those problems are. And I think that there's always been this, there's this hesitation to maybe say that something's wrong or that something's this way, but but journalists are people. We have lives. We have. I have kids in school. I have. I drive on roads. Uh, we care about the air we breathe. We care about the water. When there's an oil spill, nobody's like, well, some people say oil spills are good, and some people <laughs> say oil spills are bad. Nobody ever says murders. Some people want murders to be higher, and some people don't. So we have all sort of in a quiet way agreed that there are some things we can take a stand on. And I think that I, I'm kind of excited to see what your generation brings to that discussion because I think we're going to go even further mm-hmm. along with like, well, we are people. We have a, we have, we are entangled in this world just like everybody else. And we should be honest about that. We can be fair about the debates that occur because of it, but we can be, we can be more transparent and honest about that. And I think that's a view you share, right? Yeah. And and the ability to kind of, I guess, show the passion that you have for, for a certain subject and, and how you cover it. Uh, because if you're writing about things that you're passionate about and you, you know, are also just have a clear understanding of, then it's going to be a more powerful piece. All right. How can people get a hold of you and follow you? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Andrea Lopez Vil, V-I-L. Okay. And then they can email me at Lopez at VoicesSanDiego.org. Got it. All right. (laughs) Well, welcome. Everybody here is so stoked to have you. Thank you. Stoked to be here. Well, that's uh, Andrea Lopez Villafana. We're excited to have her. We are also excited for next week, PolitiFest. We're going to do daily discussions about law criminal justice in San Diego and some of the the debates about how to improve our quality of life, the safety of people and their sense of justice. So that is happening every day next week. You can still get tickets for our events, vosd.org slash PolitiFest. We're going to have discussions about surveillance issues. There's a great conversation set between Sarah Libby and Aaron Harvey, who are going to discuss Aaron's uh, issues and background with the criminal justice system and how that made him uh, involved and more active in local public affairs. If you heard our other podcast in your feed, San Diego 101, Aaron was featured in that, and they are set for a great conversation. I think I will host a debate between the candidates for sheriff, at least the three that have stepped up so far. That By the way, that primary is coming up in about seven months, so it's not that far away. And also on Friday, I think a a big one, a big discussion, Lisa Halberstadt is going to hold between Advocates for Homeless and the police department and others about the purpose and role for police in the homelessness crisis on our streets and uh, what the mayor's policies are are and should be with regard to that. So again, check that out, voicesandiego.org slash politifest. Also check out the San Diego 101 podcast in your feed and you won't regret it. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in the Great Voice San Diego podcast studio in downtown San Diego. Keep up with all our stories and takes on local news with the Morning Report 
Get it in other local newsletters at VOSD.org slash morning. I'm Scott Lewis, Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats and Andrea Lopez Villafaña are our managing editors. This show was produced expertly by Nate John, Adriana Heldes, and Megan Wood. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.